You're listening to Unfiltered Brew, hosted by Master Cicerone, Joe Vogelbacher, and brewery founder, Eric Flanagan, out of the Sugar Creek Brewing Company in Charlotte, North Carolina, featuring special guests, Tim Sadler and Lee Rottweiler from Yakima Quality Hops. Well, hey, we're in the beer business, so uh, we always start with the beer. I know you guys probably don't. Uh, it's a different time over there in the West Coast, but we're cheers to y'all. Oh, they just got done with their pancakes? Probably three hours ago. But um, Tim, I'm sad I didn't get a chance to see you. Um, I heard you were out hunting for the hop harvest, and that's kind of tradition for you. It is, and you know, occasionally you find hops when you're also hunting for other things. <laughs> yeah, and that's what one of the things I wanted to kind of get into today. Um, I don't know if it's if we should just jump right into that, but um, uh, we're real excited about the Alani hop. You know, we we ran a full full scale uh, production batch um, a couple weeks ago, so it's in the tanks now. It's smelling really nice, and we're we're gonna can it up and send you guys some some batches so you can see. We we ran one. Um, our normal batch uses. Uh, Citra and Simcoe with, we'll say, um, the majority of it being Citra. And then the new one that we ran, same grist, same same base, same fermentation, same yeast, same tanks, is 75% Elani, uh, 25% Mosaic. So it'll be fun for you guys to do a side-by-side if, if you want to kind of get the... the um, we did a side-by-side. It was pretty good. Yeah, no, I, I loved it. It was, it was um, very good. Uh, really nice soft bitterness, very, and very. Um, we did something like that up there uh, with you, Lee. Yep, yep. Uh, that was that was good times. But um, Tim, do you mind telling yeah. it? Uh, sorry, uh, go ahead. To do selection is here now, and they're going to do the very last blind sensory on that one that you did in about twenty minutes here, and then I'll put the data together on it. So, and you you Thank said, you. Uh, Lee, tell us a little bit about how that experiment worked. Yeah, so it was a it was a blind trial where we had a control version, which was the original recipe of a major East Coast hazy brand, and the trial or new version with uh, Elani subbed in for Simcoe. Um, and so we set it up so that each panelist received four glasses, two with the trial version, two with the control version, and so then the panelists had to try to sort the four glasses into two categories and correctly identify the trial from the control. And if they were able, and after they thought they got it right, then they you know what they perceived as differences between the control and trial. Um, and then write down their, their sort of confidence level in whether they were able to differentiate them. And after they did all that, then we revealed which, which glass was which. Um, I would say at this point about 70%, only about 30, 35% of, of people were able to correctly identify the trial from the control. They're very, very similar. And of that 35 to 40% that, that actually correctly categorized them, about 60 to 70% preferred the Alani over the, over the original. So it was a very cool trial. We have about 31 people that have completed it now, so the, a decent data set. Um, and I'll crunch those numbers, but Joe is one of the one of the few that actually identified it correctly. Um, but you also you also prefer the version after identifying it. So it was fun. It's fun. 
So I was going to ask, he, he performed well? <laughs> they put me in the spot under pressure. I will say that he was even, his, his level of confidence, he, it was difficult, right? Like you, you were... You were sweating. Yeah, it a I gave bit. it. A, I was, yeah, and I gave it a fifty percent confidence rating. I mean, which isn't really super high. One of the things we had to do was um, rate our confidence of of you know you, yeah. you sort the beers. So there's four. You sort them and then you rate them um, how high how sure you are. And it, it was hard. It took me like twenty five minutes to figure out the difference between the two. And for the the differences, you know, one of the big things is Simcoe is kind of known for that really pine pine forward, um, but it also makes some really nice fruit flavors as well. Um, but the Alani has a little less of that and more soft and uh, more bitter. I mean, excuse me, a more a more soft bitterness. It's hard to describe well, I like that. that up which, right away. Yeah, which uh, which moves you into the kind of a more um, think about the softer tropical fruits like um, cantaloupe or mango or pineapple, things like that. It goes really well with the um, the esters from the New England style yeast strains, but. Um, yeah, it was a really fun experiment. Thanks for having us do it, Lee, and thanks for everything that you did for us up there. Selection was really fun. Um, so we're, you know, we'll, we'll come back to that. But uh, you know, Tim, um, Tim, if you don't mind, um, just for the for the to go on the record, uh, can you, you know, you, you'll can both of you guys state your uh, your name and your position at? Uh, I know that you're the founder, but um, name and your position at Yakima Quality. Yeah, so Tim Sattler and I'm the founder and CEO of Yakima Quality Hops. And um, Lee? Uh, Lee Rottweiler, um, co-owner, vice president, Yakima Quality Hops. Thank you. And then, um, Tim, would you mind um, telling us a little bit about your hunting experience and, and how, how did Alani go from something that you maybe, I heard that you kind of stumbled upon it to now being possibly in some of the most popular beers on the, on the East Coast. Very cool story, by the way. I love hearing, I love, I loved hearing it from you. So I want to hear it from you now. Definitely. Yeah. Th this, this area dates back to, I think 1979 when my dad took my brother and I on the St. Joe river in, in Idaho, beautiful, one of the best trout fishing rivers in the country. And so I've been going there since I was a kid and fell in love with the area. And then my best friend and his parents, they bought a place on the river in 2015. So I've been going up there even more. And in 2015, I did come across this, looked at it for a year and, you know, that was about all I did. The next year I thought, well, I need to look at that because I'm a hop guy. So during September, I grabbed some cones and rubbed them and thought, yeah, they sound like they yeah, have a little something there. So I did bring, you know, a little garbage sack home with me and we dried them and, and did a little sensory on them and, and did some initial test on them with alpha. And they really had a kind of a unique little smell to them. And, but they were kind of small and it was maybe an hour, half, two hours of indirect sunlight per day. So all these things made me think, well, what happens if it comes down and, you know, it was not getting any, any uh, water, fertilizer, very little sunlight. Um, so we did another year of sensory, I think in 2018, 19, and uh, thought it was worth looking at deeper. So I brought home two rhizomes in November of 20. Now these are wild, Tim. You just found them out there while you were fishing? Is that how it worked? Yeah, I was out and it was in the woods, hunting, fishing, hiking. I do all kinds of recreation up there. So yeah, I came across it 
And uh, so it just looked a little unique, but I thought, you know, it still could be some other variety that is in existence. I just didn't know, but it did, did seem a little different. So we brought two two-inch rhizomes home. I tried to plant them in my office to get them going. I couldn't do it, so I gave them to a professional greenhouse. They got a thousand plants over the winter, and we planted a little over half an acre, three quarters of an acre, in 2021, and that was the initial. Uh, and then I took samples to both Denver CBCs, and just seeing people's reactions when they went down and smelled it, they immediately popped their head up and said, "What is this?" So then I started realizing there really was something there. And we had some high-end regarded breweries do some initial testing and kind of opened my eyes like, hey, this might be something. So then the next year we expanded the acreage to 62, 63 acres and really started getting good traction last year. And then we worked on a name, which is really hard to do, got the name. And in the process, we uh, it took a year, but we did get a patent on the plant, which is very hard to do. There's not a lot of hops that are patented. And so it's quite a process to go through to get that uh, uh, patent process done. So that basically means it's a totally unique hop. We've had lots of genetic testing done. They don't know the parentage. Um, my best guess is it's been up in that area where there was logging mining from the turn of the century, and they had to grow their own uh you know grains and hops to, to brew with so they didn't have to ride their horses for four hours to spokane so my belief is this cross-pollinated and it just changed into what it is today and over those 100 years or whatever it's been it's just become a really hardy plant the it can obviously handle the cold because of where it's at in the mountains but also the heat. I mean, when it was 115 degrees and 18 inches tall, I fully expected it to be dead and it was just thriving. So now we know that it does very well in the heat. Uh, mildew has not been an issue. Pests have done very well and it's a very vigorous plant, pretty easy to grow. And we're learning a lot about it. Um, go out every week from the time it's still under the ground until harvest, so we watch it taking a lot of data and notes, trying to figure out when to burn it back, train it, and when to pick it. So there's been a lot to go into this to try and get it, um, maximize, you know, its potential. And so we're finding out the picking window is somewhere around the 22nd of September, which most tops, the busy is the 10th to the 20th with Citra, Mosaic, Simcoe, all those. So you don't want a hop to pick in that time frame because it just gets all bunched up. So you really want an earlier pick or a late pick. And so it looks like this is going to be, you know, 24th, 25th. Although I did go down and get some, I left some in the field to do some later testing. We picked some October 2nd and dried them and they seem to have a little bit more punch, but still not have OG. I'm going to pick one more time out of three fields on Monday and dry those. And that's going to be October 8th. And so we'll see how that does. Now that's what's sorry, Tim. I, I mean, to cut you off, but what's the t tell us what the normal range for harvest is because yeah. you know, we're uh, a lot of our listeners aren't really hop experts, so we'd love to hear like what's early, what time of the year is early, what time of the year is late. So, Yakima typically starts around August 21st with Centennial and then progresses to the end of September, usually the first couple days of October. But usually like the 25th on is usually just your high alpha hops, your CTZ, your Pado, 
those hops. And so they're not looking for the aroma. They're just looking for alpha so they can hang longer. And so when you start going late into the season, it doesn't really matter if they've got onion garlic because they're just using it for alpha for extracting. So if we can have this hop get picked end of September, 1st of October, it opens up a huge opportunity for growers to uh, have another aroma hop that picks that late. And also it's, it's one of the highest yielding aroma hops. Uh, looks like it's gonna be in that 13 bale an acre, maybe 14 bale an acre range, which is um, quite big. Yeah, so 13, um, just so everybody knows, it's uh, a bale is 200 pounds, right? 200 pounds of dried right. hops. And that's after it's already been taken down to like 8% moisture. So most of the water's out of the hop, they're packaged and baled into 200 pound um, big sacks. And that's, that's, that's quite a bit from uh, an acre. That's, that's awesome. So that, that allows you to be competitive on price, right? Yeah. So basically a lot of the pricing is, is, re, is based on your yield. And so Citra is, you know, anywhere from seven and a half to nine bale hop. So that price has to be higher. So if you can get a higher yielding hop, it makes it, much better for the grower, for the dealer, and for the brewer. So we lowered the price on Ilani this year, and I didn't want that to come across as, oh, it must not be selling well because they're lowering the price. That's not the case. The reason why I lowered the price is because we're figuring out what the what the yield is, and so now we can pass that savings on to the brewer. That's just awesome. That's great. You know, Joe and I talk about pricing all the time, especially, you know, we don't know what the economy is going to do. We don't know, you know, what drinkers are going to do next. And um, things are getting expensive all across the board. So uh, saving us some room on the hops really helps us out here, too. So I hope people realize that, that you know, um, the most expensive is not always the best solution, I, I should say. That's a that's a great point. I mean, we're going into really tough times for beer in general, and you seem seem breweries close. So being able to give somebody a high quality product for a better price goes a long way, and it, it speaks a lot to your business acumen there as well, Tim. But it gives us a lot of flexibility to do things too. Yeah, you know, no doubt. I mean, um, and then I mean, one thing it just it's just mind blowing to me is how many. So you go up there in Yakima, there's just hops everywhere, and thousands of. Uh, of different varieties being uh, tried and they're nurtured in greenhouses and they have labs that they grow these things in and, you know, they're breeding them and, and doing different, I mean, it's kind of outside of my expertise, but how, how rare is it, Tim, to just find something out in the wild and then put it out into production? You stole my, you stole my question. How often do you find one walking like that? Yeah, I mean, it's very rare because there's a lot of wild hops, but most of them are, you know, clusters, the most common one. And there's some Neo-Mexicanas. There's a, there's a lot of um, cross-pollinated hops that just are out there, but most of them uh, are either don't have good aroma or low yielding, uh, hard to grow. There's different reasons. And so to find this one, that's why I wasn't real, you know, all over it when I first saw it is because most of them are nothing right and so i was slow to proceed with it but then once we realized that it really was something then then we jumped on the this this faster uh wagon but amarillo was found so there you go i mean great hop and so that one was found so it does happen and when i've asked some growers would you rather have one 
developed in a lab or one that's been out here for a hundred years. And they said, well, we take that one that's a hundred years because it's already been through the harsh environment and, and, and it's easier to grow a pest and everything else. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very rare, but it does happen. Amarillo is a fantastic hop. I mean, we get all of our Amarillo from you guys. So highly recommend that hop as well. And now you got another, another great one in the fold, but, uh, Amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about the, did you have a question you wanted to ask? Oh, uh, no, whenever. I'm fine. Um, can you tell us about, you said it was hard to get the, the name Ilani um, and picking a name. And we, we have that kind of challenges all the time with picking beer names. You want to make sure that you can, you know, put a stamp on that name and protect it and um, not step on anyone else's toes. Can you tell us a little bit about the name and the logo? Um, I'll jump in real quick on this one a little bit. Yeah, then, that'd be great. Right. I mean, at our heart, and Joe, you know this because we work so closely with you and Lael for so long. Uh, but we're a we're a family company, you know. Uh, it was just Tim and I to start, and Tim's my uncle, um, and so that is really near and dear to our hearts. So when we were struggling with 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 finding a name, naming's hard. There's you know, with nine thousand breweries, and every one of them has multiple beers, and there's other there's wine, there's spirits. Everybody had there's so many names that are already taken. It's very very difficult to find something that you aren't stepping on other people's toes with. And so we went round and round with it for months and months and months and think we'd find one we like and, you know, it didn't work out. And we kind of just came back to, to kind of what is important to us as a company and what's important to keep forefront in our when we're, when we're launching this new hop into the world. And, and we, we realized that, you know, family is the most important thing for our company. Um, and so Tim and I lost my mom, Tim's sister, about 10 years ago. 11 years ago now to, to cancer. Um, and we thought, wow, it'd be really, really cool to just sort of honor her or, you know, speak to her and just keep her in the forefront of our minds and the, her, the values that she had. Um, and so her name was Melanie. And we, so what we did was we took the first and last letter off of her name and, and ended up with Ilani, which has a really nice, it has a really nice flow to it off the tongue. It, it it actually is is close in how it sounds to Hawaiian word that means tropical and citrus, which is really cool. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, but it also keeps just kind of in our minds forefront every day. You know what we're trying to do with with quality and fairness and transparency and integrity, um, and so it worked out really well. We're super excited about it, and it's been received really well. And another cool thing that sort of was happening was that some of the artwork that was done of Melanie when she was going through fighting her um, was in Hawaii where she would go when she was trying to recover from treatments. Uh, and so we took that, my wife took that artwork and, and modeled it and kind of changed it and made it into the logo and graphic are on the Alani um, swag right now. So the shirt that you have on there, Michael, is my mom's hand holding a hob, but what she was holding in, in the artwork was a stone that she would hold during cancer treatments. It was her, her hope stone. So it all kind of comes full circle. Um, and it's just a perfect fit for our first, uh, proprietary hop. So you're saying that was built off of the, some artwork that your mom had done herself. So her friend, her good friend, um, who lived on Maui at the time that camp with when she visited he took a photo of her beach in uh on the southern end of maui and then from that photo she she was an excellent artist so she did a 
a large charcoal drawing of himself based on the photo. And then a professional artist that was did oil paintings did a large oil on that beach holding the stone and looking out at at Hawaii. Um, and then so that's where that that's where the logo came from. That's just awesome. That's awesome. That's I I wow. can uh, yeah that's really great and that's touching. Lee, what uh, type of cancer she had, if you don't mind me asking, and you can pass on this question for sure. That's I mean she wouldn't mind talking about it. Um, lung cancer. She never smoked a day in her life. She was one of the healthiest, most health conscious people we've ever known. So she 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 battled it. They gave her six months when they found it, and she battled it for five years. Um, just a wonderful, brave, strong, beautiful person, and. So that's why I think it just was the perfect fit for what we wanted to do in our company right now. We're happy to honor her with this. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, um, I, I don't have a feel, I have a feeling this is going to be, you know, great for y'all. So appreciate you, you chatting about that and telling us a story. It's super touching there. It's yeah, awesome. we do. Um, we do quite a bit of charity and fundraiser and um, we lost Joe's sister to cancer not too long ago. We do several events. Uh, Joe's on the board for 24 Foundation, so maybe this will be the hop that we use when we're doing our charity beers, you know? I think we ought to. Yeah. I ought to, yeah. So, I mean, um, we're real proud that we, we run one of the largest rowathons on the East Coast, and we raise, and you guys have contributed to that in the past, so we really appreciate it. And um, this year we raised $50,000, which went, went to uh, charity, and then last year we raised 75000 So, over the last few years, it's upwards of a quarter million dollars, so we're, we're excited about that. And, um, a few years ago, um, I lost my sister to cancer. She wasn't a drinker, smoker, drug user, or anything like that. She she passed from um, chlorangia carcinoma, which is a liver cancer, very rare. She fought it for around five years. And um, being that we have the brewery and we have a voice in the community, we uh, like you guys. You know, family's important to us. We uh, each year we we do a um, an event, kind of in my sister's memory, where we we raise money for a local foundation called 24 Foundation. And you guys have donated to that in the past. We appreciate it. Over the last five years, it's been almost $250,000 raised. So we're real proud about that. And that's kind of how we honor uh, Sister Michelle's memory. That's on michellesmoneymission.com. But I love what you guys have done with Ilani, where now every beer that's brewed with this, you guys can, uh, you know, you're, you're honoring your mom and your sister there, Tim. So that's that's just awesome. Yeah, um, But uh yeah, fantastic. So, so real quick, let me ask a question. So, you guys mentioned um, these hops stand up to the elements really well. Do you guys see that being a problem? You know, whether you're for or against the belief of global warming or climate, um, is has it been hotter up there for you guys? Have you guys has it been hotter for you to the point where it's actually affecting the crops um, drastically, or no? Well, the, the first year we had the the initial one acre, it it hundred it hit one hundred and sixteen degrees at the farm, and wow. that was the year that it really hurt the malt too, and so, uh, you know, it it proved that year that it could withstand that heat. The next year it got up to one hundred and five, hundred and six, did well. This year uh, we had some longer spells of heat, but not as high a heat. So yes, there. There is some hops that don't do as well in the heat. And so it appears that this one uh, can handle it quite well. So 
So can you give yeah, me some, what about, give me some examples for some of the viewers out there of hops that don't do well in, in the harsh elements in the, in the sun, in the heat. Well, I don't want to pick on certain proprietary hops, but you know, there oh, is, I get it. Okay. You know, I, I don't really want to talk about theirs, um, but there is some that, uh, and it depends on when it blooms too, because, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Elani or any hop. If, it, depending on when it blooms, if it's a really hot period, it can really stun them. And so it also has to do with the timing of that heat too. So, you know, one hop might do okay if it's hot in May, but it might not do as good in July or vice versa. So it's, 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 um, it's growing. It's growing uh, a product that you can't predict with the weather. So, you know, overall, you know, there's a lot of hops that do well and there's a lot of them that struggle. So to find one that does well in that high heat is, is, is great for the growers. So are you guys thinking about that in the long term of, of your side of the industry? Are you guys working on things that can combat the, the long heats? I mean, where's the technology in the hops going these days? Well, there's a lot of breeding going on for two things. And, it, you know, heat is definitely one of them, but yield. So there's, there's um, right now in the industry, they don't really want to produce a, a hop that's less than 10 bales an acre. It's just in this economy, it's just getting too expensive to grow. So if you have a low yield hop um, that's five or six bales, it's just so expensive to the brewer that it doesn't make sense. So if you can get up there 10 bales at least, then it makes more sense for the grower the dealer and the brewer. So basically every bale over 10 bales really helps everybody out. So um, that's awesome. I, I wanna just change gears for two seconds, uh, guys, and feel free to jump in whoever this is more appropriate for. And, um, but could you tell us about, because you, you really initially were just kind of you two guys. If I remember correctly, when we first started, we were just dealing with you two. And now I came up to see you for Hop Harvest and there's like 30 employees. So I've, you know, you've had stratospheric growth in a really tough, um, tough market with a lot of competition. Can you tell us about how you started the business, where the idea came from, and how, you, how you've been able to grow so much? And a little bit about that would be awesome. I'll start and let Lee tap in here. But um, uh, we started in 2013, 2012. I had one of my good friends I grew up with in Spokane that had a his own brewery and he was short on hops back then 2012. So he called me to see if I could help him uh, source some more hops because he was growing very fast. And so I did. And in that time I thought, Oh, maybe I can do something like this and maybe make a couple extra bucks to help the kids in college. And, and so I thought I could sell to home brewers and I bought six bales the first year and was built my own website to sell ounces and, uh, by the, time it was, by the time it was pelleted, I had breweries asking for hops. I thought, well, instead of sitting at home, uh, I was radiolo radiology tech in orthopedic surgery. So I'd come home at night and I would package up these packages and then sell them. I never even turned on the website. Breweries found out that I had them. So I was like, well, it's easier to sell a box than it is to sit here and do all this labor. So that's how it started. And then it just kind of grew from there. And um, Are you from Yakima, Tim? I'm from Spokane, but I've been in Yakima since 1990. Is that how you were able to do it? Meaning that you had some local connections and that's how you could source the, uh, the hops? 
Yeah, I had a lot of people that I knew in the industry, and so it was just kind of a natural fit, which I had a lot of people doubt that I could do it. And I, you know, even to this day, I had people say, you know, we doubted you because it's such a hard thing to break into. And I think the reason why we were successful is just doing the right thing. I always say that, you know, I say that to my kids, uh, whoever, you know, you just do the right thing. You be fair and honest to people, whether it's price, quality, service. I think our service is some of the best in the industry and, and uh, that's what people want. And so from there, we started growing so much, developing relationships with very large breweries that we ended up, you know, our need for more cold storage grew. So we were renting rooms and more rooms. And finally, a facility came open and we bought a nine acre uh, cold storage facility. And now we're one of the largest cold storage facilities in the industry, which we store for a lot of the major breweries. And then during COVID, we were having a hard time with trucking. So I bought a trailer, hired a truck to pull the trailer to move product. And that turned into starting a freight brokerage company so that we could get more trucks running and moving hops. And then we moved into produce and beer and empty kegs. And then this year we started our own truck uh, is running now independently. So it's just kind of grown off of each other. That's amazing, Tim. Where are most of your customers? Are they all over the country or are they... uh... Are they um, in the Northwest? Well, we're global, but um, California is big, East Coast is big, uh, but we are global, and we, you know, we've got customers all over. That's awesome. So, how many customers do you have on the Alani Hop right now? Can you tell us that? Oh boy, because uh, we have a couple other distributors. Um, uh, BSG and Haas are two of our big distributors, and Haas recently got on board with it, and so they will be. Uh, looks like a couple of advanced products will be coming with Lupo Max and Incognito, which is a pretty big deal. And so um, we've there's hundreds and I don't know, Lee. I I think upwards of I would say five to eight hundred breweries have beers with it, um, and definitely a a good chunk of beer breweries, maybe a hundred or so, have have brewed multiple beers and have it in consistently produced beers at this point. So it is, it has been, we've been really happy. So one of the, I guess I would add, the only thing I would add to the story of how we've, how we've grown and it directly relates to, to Alani is I think, I think one of our things is building on about doing the right thing is we've just really, we've really been focused on building relationships, um, really strong relationships with our, core brewing partners um, and we've grown together. So we've done it with Sugar Creek, but with, you know, 50 or a hundred other really closely um, partnered breweries that are, that are now by this point, our friends as well. And so they've really, we do appreciate, they've supported Alani from, from the beginning the last year. And, and by this point, many, many have adopted it into their core brands over. So part of it is, I mean, Alani is a, a beautiful hop. It's, it's, it checks all the boxes yield for pest resistance, you know, for aroma. But there are other hops that, that are also great. And I think one of the things I've built is that we have close, really close partnerships and friendships with our brewing partners that support us. And so you guys have chosen to to give Alani a chance when you have, you could have done that with 10 other hops. You chose to do that because we've, you know, we've helped that relationship for 10 years. 
affair. And so package, right. It just goes back to that whole, that whole mentality or philosophy around the whole company. And that's, I think, part of why Alani is doing so well. And it really is taking off. We're really excited about it. Um, and it's because of the partnerships, I think, partially that we've created. So your your job there, Lee, is more in operations, uh, right? And, and Tim's kind of more of the visionary. What's it like to, a lot of, I mean, 20-fold growth is bonkers. Uh, how do you, you know, how do you keep from going insane? What, what's your trick to keep all the great customer service you have since you started? For our first part of our journey, we went bonkers and just muscled everything. <laughs> Worked all the time, and it was, but we learned a lot. We learned a lot about sustain about sustainability, about building a fantastic team. So we are we're pre, we're pretty lean. Like you, you mentioned, approximately our number of that's you know for four companies, um, and we're global. But we have been able to develop an incredible team. So the people that we that that are part of YQ8 and our other companies are outstanding. I think the best in in the industry, and they they've taken on a lot of it and they're running with it. And so, I think you know our teammates enough, John, Abby, Danny, Ryan, and Daniel, all, all the people in the warehouse or in on the admin team. Um, so that's the piece it's about we've Tim and I've had to learn, you know, and, and you guys, I think the same way you found a company, it's your baby. You, you have your hands in every piece of it and then learning to, to delegate and to give pieces to, to other people and to let them with it. Right. That's been the trick in the last three, three years or so is trusting other very talented people with parts of the company that they can do better than us. And so we have definitely come to a place where we are sustainable and we're able to grow in a healthy So what, Lee, what was your background prior to doing this job? Yeah, so I was in educational leadership. Um, I was definitely a classroom teacher, but also like a senior counselor and uh, well, I started schools, school administration. So it was all non-traditional um, sort of innovative educational practices and developing that type of thing. So was a, I was, I loved it and it was, I was passionate and did a lot of really cool things. At one point I was getting really tired and it was summer and uh, Tim's like, Hey, you know, there's a, there's a hot brewery thing on the East coast and I'm going to fly out there. You want to just drive up? Uh, I was on the East coast at the time and I was like, yeah, that sounds kind of fun. I'm sure. So I went up there and I just fell in love with the, the culture of the brewers and the co- the culture of, of crafting and hops and just the kind of camaraderie and um community in it and it was just refreshing and and fun and he he talked me into joining this uh jumping into this kind of crazy crazy journey and it, it turned good so you never know i guess you never know where you're gonna go <laughs> that's that's just awesome that's true yeah so um you guys uh, i only have a couple more questions you've been super generous with your time um is there any you have any questions for us on the sugar creek side Anything we can answer for y'all? Yeah. What is your, what are you, I want to hear a little bit more about what you think about your first uh, experiences with Elani. Yeah. I mean, um, so the, it's, it's a big risk. I think, um, jump, well, let's put it this way. You could, you could pilot, make pilot beers where you're doing say five gallons or 20 gallons or a barrel of beer or even seven barrels of beer and kind of get an idea of the flavor or even do hop teas and things like that. But because of the relationship we have with you guys, um, you know, 
kind of we talked about how do we give this the best chance. Um, you, you know, we've heard it was really nice. And so we put it right into production and our idea was, hey, we'll run it right through the whole production process. That way it gets the lowest DO, it has the best yeast, everything's treated properly and it'll get canned and you can give it a good uh, good sensory experience. And, you know, it, it the aroma initially, um, when I, when I added the hops to the first batch, when I added um, a portion right after the first day of fermentation, and, you know, there's a lot of talk about that uh, biotransformation and how the, how the yeast interact with the, um, with the hops, and, you know, there's enzymatic action and stuff like that that um, will produce different flavors. Um, so when we first added it and I smelled it, you know, I, I was taken back a little, um, not necessarily by how nice it was. So initially my, my first impression was kind of like, wow, that smells really different. Not bad, but really different where it stood out. And I've learned now brewing for 10 years uh, professionally that that first impression you have is, it's, you have to kind of give it patience and give it time because it always develops. So. A few days go by and we try it every day. We do sensory in the morning, see how this um, hop develops. And it just got more and more uh, beautiful in the beer. Nothing else to say about that. It softened up and more of those tropical flavors came out. And, um, you know, there was a, it, I think, could be a variety of things, but, you know, we had uh, some yeast in there. And when you, when you add a big hop charge, you can get some uh, nucleation, release some sulfurs, stuff like that. So you're not sure where those things are originally coming from, but then after a few days in there, you know, uh, giving it time to ferment, we used ale yeast, and it's a we're using like a very similar, um, like a London Three, like a hazy strain, you know, very uh, estery kind of um, British strain, and it worked together really nice, and you get pineapple and and tropical and mango and less of that. Uh, pine really heavy pine and you know one of the things that's characteristic with um with american hops is a lot of times you can get the the grassy or kind of like re resin they call it hot, you know like hop resin um flavor and there's none of that and i didn't get any onion garlic nothing none of those diesel or um off flavors like that so it's looking really promising right now the beer is in the lager phase it'll lager for like uh three more days and then we're going to can Tuesday or Wednesday next week. So I'll be excited to send you, and I can send you um, the prior batch right to that, and then the Alani batch. And we can, it'd be cool to jump on a Zoom and try it together. Um, that'd be really neat. So we'll I be think, watching the rating yeah. website. So I, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. No, you, you'll be able to know that too. Cause this is the first time I think we've ever fully swapped in the middle. I mean, this thing's going a thousand retail. A thousand retail locations. So. It, it's going to be good because I think we'll do, uh, we'll say 800 cases, something like that. So we'll push 800 cases out to the market with this, and um, you'll be able to follow it on Untapped. So the beer, it'll be in uh, Unlimited Juice. That's the name of the beer. That the we, first batch will, will be in 800 right. cases. Yeah, but yeah. Say 800 cases in this in this first batch run. So. Um, we'll see how it. We'll we'll get feedback right away on Untapped. Love it or hate it. Um, people get it, jump on there and rate the beer, and you can see when they got it and that kind of stuff, and you get a good idea. And we'll get a flavor uh, feel for it in the tap room. So, um, 
I'm always hesitant to judge the beer until like uh, it's in the package. And then even when it's in the package, I wait a day or two because it even develops from there a, a day or two after being canned. So a lot of times when you first pull it off the line, especially IPAs and really heavily hopped beers, the, um, the, there's a bitterness that's quite harsh that will, um, it, it softens up and goes better in the, like day two or day three. Especially in the hazies, I think, yeah. I think uh, one thing about it, having the lower alpha of six to nine, this year it's gonna be in that six to seven range. It is helping with a nice smooth lower bitterness. And I think those people that would like to try it, it does make a great single hop beer, um, but we've had a lot of people at the beginning of this that would just take a barrel off of their flagship beer and take out one of the hops and hop it with, dry hop it with Ilani and then do a side-by-side. And that kind of opened up a lot of people's eyes so they could say, oh yeah, they don't have to waste a big batch. They can do a, a, you know, a, a side-by-side in an easy way if you have that capability. Yeah, that's we don't have any single hop beers other than our Pilsner. So um, I don't know. We we do enough volume where we figured one batch we could push out. It would be it'd be fine um, to do. So yeah, no, it's it's really really awesome. And then I guess I'll have one more question, and then I'll let you all go unless Eric has anything. But um, usually we end the podcast every time with uh, Eric. He tells us a story from uh, his times in Afghanistan or Iraq. Eric was a Marine. He was in the Marine Infantry. He served in Fallujah twice, and um, I always ask him to tell us a war story uh, just to, just for fun and like a, you know, to, to I'm getting attacked by this fly, um, to kind of lighten it up, and you know, we end on that on that note. But um, so my question is, do you have any? Um, what's your war story from Yakima Quality? Do you have any that you want to share? A war story from the fields of the hop, um, you know, front lines of the hop business. They're both kind of grinning, but they don't know what, to, you know, something had to have blown up at some point, right? <laughs> I'm putting y'all on the spot. What was one of the crazy things that happened this harvest? We've had a pretty smooth harvest. It's just been a grind, you know, and, and having good staff has been very helpful. But yeah, I don't know. Nothing jumps out right at right now. The very first, yes, the very first bale of Ilani. Uh, oh, there you go. Yeah. So we are so the very first bale of Ilani this year. So the very first bale from our mature field ever. We were so excited about it. Tim and I are, and I are waiting for the truck, literally waiting for the truck to come from the farm to deliver it to our storage. And we're waiting, waiting, it doesn't come, it doesn't come. It's like, look, are you serious? The first truck, what, what's going on? First bale. So excited. Driver finally shows up. It's one bale short. Turns out on the way, on the way to our place, it fell off the truck onto the freeway, exploded, (laughs) and was, uh, yeah, spread out throughout all of Yakima's highways. So that was the very first bale. It was ominous. But then after that, the next several thousand bales were perfect. So we were, we're happy we got it out of the way. Yeah. So the driver called the the grower and said, hey, I lost a bale. So they drove up there to find it. And all they could find was just leaf all over the road it completely exploded oh man oh, man. oh wow that's, that's a good story though i'm sorry it happened yeah man that's crazy well hey a big thank you to you guys for coming out and and taking some an hour out of your day to chat with us and tell us about it we're excited to try this stuff and uh, a personal thanks from um eric and i both for how 
flexible and how how good you all have been to us as we've tried to grow our company. Because I know sometimes cash can get tight and um, you work together with us and helped us grow. And it's just been, real, we've been really grateful for that and believed in us. And you're, you know, stayed a, a great vendor and supplier for us. And, and a personal thank, thank you to you guys. And I hope we have 10 more good years uh, in the future. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate all the business. Uh, You've done with us too. So now I'm looking forward to the war story. Oh, we want to get Eric in this one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> he thought he was off the hook. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, Afghanistan or Iraq? What do you think? Pick one. Um, all right. All right. So we're in Afghanistan. Um, we're taking down this compound. And uh, when I was in the Marine Corps, I went through this special operations training. One of the things that I did was something called assault climbing. And it was this new thing they were teaching us in Afghanistan because we were finding out that a lot of these guys were, were hiding their drugs. Did I tell the story already? I don't think I did. Anyway, um, we go through this entire compound. We get to the back and we, we can't find anything, but it's just such a nice compound. There's poppy fields everywhere. And that's why I'm telling the, the story to you guys, you know, because, um, you know, you guys are growers. So um, we're sitting there and it's like, man, there's, they, these are definitely um, heroin guys. There's, you know, there's no guns. There's no anything anywhere. So we start climbing the cliffs behind this um, compound. And, um, we got about 125 feet up and we just started seeing these big boulders that were laid on top of each other. And uh, it just looked so fishy to me. And uh, I had a lieutenant from Pittsburgh, I believe, and he could run like the wind. That was the problem in the, in the Marine Corps. All the lieutenants ran their balls off so that they could run the, the crap out of us because we were in the infantry and that was their main thing, you know? So. Um, he slivers in between these rocks and he ends up finding, um, a, a couple revolvers and, uh, you know, uh, just a dumb long rifle. And I remember going, man, that's bogus. And I keep climbing and I keep climbing. And next thing you know, I see these plastic garbage bags, um, off in this, you know, like Indiana Jones, you put your hand in the hole and you're not sure if you're going to bring out a stump or not, you know, it's, and, uh, I stick my hand in there and I pull out, uh, two the stump of an arm. Yeah. The, yeah. Like, you know, you never know. And <laughs> in, in the Indiana Jones, you know, things, they always tell you like, you know, don't stick your hand in the hole, you know, and you have to, um, so I bring it, I bring out a bag and it's, uh, just a humongous bag of unprocessed heroin, basically the poppy, um, that these guys, they would in the mornings, they, usually, they tend to stay out of the heat. So in the morning, they wake up in the morning and they scratch the bulbs with these knives or tools. And then the sun makes them bleed all day. And then they come back by on the reverse side of this um, tool is a flat side and they scrape all the resin off the bulbs. And um, I ended up pulling out two big basketball size uh, bags of uh, black tar, unprocessed style heroin, I guess. And um, I remembered being so proud to do it. And my lieutenants were so happy. And everybody's like, ah, this is probably a million dollars worth of unprocessed heroin. I got another award for that one. Um, I, I, it, was, it, was a, it was one of those moments where I was happy and sad too, because I realized that this family that grows this poppy 
and ended up losing um, a significant amount of money when we ended up finding that. But um, that's my Afghanistan story on crops. How about that? Perfect. <laughs> well, gentlemen, we appreciate the time. Definitely. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, right, guys. Thanks a lot. Bye.